Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, we have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome along to episode number 28 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios here in Dublin. I am delighted to be here with you again this morning, this bank holiday Monday morning as I'm recording it here in my fortress of solitude. If it is your first time listening to the podcast, you are very, very welcome along. I hope you enjoy this. We, You have arrived in at a very critical point. We are at the culmination of an entire saga of mythology here, which is the Fenian cycle of Irish mythology. If you at any point are confused in this episode, why don't you go back to the very beginning of the podcast, to episode one, or if not, maybe just to the first episode of the Fenian cycle, which was the forming of the Fianna. As you can tell by this title, this is the end of the Fianna. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do continue to subscribe, leave ratings and comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you really want to support the podcast, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. We want to take this podcast live, but we cannot do so without your support. If not, continue to listen. Your support means the world as it is. We are as I touched on there, we are in the Fenian cycle again today, and we are very, very near the end. You would think by this title that this was the end, but no, this is just uh, the climax of it. But there is there is a grace note, there is a coda after this as well, which I'm sure you'll all, all enjoy and all know quite well, even if... Regardless of your knowledge, your depth of knowledge of Irish mythology, I'm sure the title of the next episode will pique all of your interests as well but this is this is the end of the Fianna this has a couple of other names in in myths and in different versions that I've found this was a very tricky story to get my hands on it was it was totally unavoidable because the Fenian cycle is the the birth the rise and the fall of the Fianna and of Fionn McCool and yet I couldn't really get a solid version of this story. There was a couple of very brief um, little like paragraphs describing the events, but there were so many buzzwords, there were so many names mentioned and so little context given to them, even in my Lady Gregory book, which I have used less 
as my sole source for the Fenian cycle because it's split it into a lot more individual chapters where in other versions I've found I've found the stories written out in more block form which is suited my versions anyway that I've written myself so more than probably any other of the myths I've done on this podcast so far this is one of one of the episodes that is the very most my own version because I've had to not pad but certainly flesh out a huge amount of detail here or find detail in other sources if a name is mentioned if a if a species is mentioned i've had to go off and look to the best of my ability to find and hopefully amount a nice coherent decent story here i am very i am very proud of it and i hope you enjoy it yourselves we'll chat more about the story after i tell it but here we're going to get right down to it this is the end of the fiena on fireside the end of the fiena the solemn duty of the fiena of ireland was to serve the High King at Tara. This is why they were created and what their lives were dedicated to. There was no one whom this duty was more important to than Fionn McCool, especially as he grew into old age. In his youth, he had had a momentary lapse of priority when he had fallen in love with the Princess Sive, who was taken away from him and transformed back into the form of a deer. Fionn spent seven years looking for Sive and never found her, but did find Ushin, the young child Sive had borne Fionn. Fionn raised Ushin to be one of the warriors of the Fianna, and he would become known as their greatest poet. In fact, it is Ushin who would go on to tell the story of the Fianna, and so it is him we have to thank for this story we tell today. Despite their sworn service and honour, there were many in Ireland who disliked and distrusted the Fianna. There were many kings who disliked their popularity among the people and feared Fionn could easily overthrow any king if he so chose. This always upset Fionn and is what led to him being betrothed to Gráinne, daughter of High King Cormac MacArt. Cormac sought to make a blood ally of the most potentially dangerous Fionn. However, this plan never came to fruition, as on the day of the wedding, Gráinne ran off with Fionn's most valued warrior, Dermid O'Divna. Although Fionn would eventually let sleeping dogs lie, and eventually attempted to forgive Dermid and Gráinne, the fact that Fionn himself had not married the princess meant that peace with Cormac MacArt was never secured, and doubt and suspicion of the Fianna only grew and festered over the years. By the time Fionn was an old, albeit still superhuman man, the throne at Tara had passed down from Cormac MacArt to his son Carbra Lificar, which meant Carbra of the Liffey. This is the story of his ascension. There at one point was a group of people called the Desi. In its original Irish, the word Desi comes from a name meaning vassal or subjects who paid tribute to the landowners of an area. In this case, of course, the High King at Tara. The Desi were led by four sons, Breck, Forred, Yuckad Almwyr, or the foreigner, and Engus Gebwimtak, 
Angus of the Dread Spear. Carbra Lificar had a wicked brother named Khan. Khan was known as the wanton son of Cormac MacArt. Undisciplined, disrespectful, and often downright nasty, Khan revealed the worst of his nature when he was rebuked by the daughter of one of the leaders of the Desi, Forak, daughter of Forad. Khan's response was to kidnap Forak, at which point the Desi declared war on Tara. Fifty men marched on the hill, personally led by Angus Gabwibtak. Cormac MacArt brought out Con, and Angus demanded Forak be released. When Con refused, Angus drove his dread spear through the prince's head. Cormac MacArt tried to protect his son and was stabbed in the eye in the process. Since the days of the Tour de Danon, it had been the way that the High King Atara must never be imperfect. This had been enforced since Nuda had his arm cut off at the first battle of Maitara. So Cormac MacArt was forced to step down, and his son Carbralificar took his place. The Desi were expelled from Tara and forced to wander the land in search of a home. To consolidate his rule and to do what his father had failed to do, form a blood alliance with the Fianna, Carbra Lifrakar was wed to Anya, the daughter of Fionn Macool. Carbra carried on his father's suspicions and resentment of the power and influence of the Fianna, but felt confident in his power, having wed the daughter of their greatest leader. Anya and Carbra had three sons, Fiaka, Srabtina, and Yokad Damlan. The three sons of Carbra grew up with a hatred of the Desi, and when they were grown, Fiaka, Srabtina, and Yokad Damlan hunted the wandering people down and killed their leader, Angus Gabwibtok. This was vengeance for the deaths of their uncle Khan and the blinding of their grandfather Cormac MacArt. Carbra Lifakar in no way approved of his son's actions and feared reprisal. To finally broker a truce between the enemies that were the people of Tara and the Desi, Carbra married his only daughter with the prince who would succeed Angus. This is all a lot of name and detail, but it all ties together under one fateful action taken by the Fianna. One of the most contentious aspects of the warrior clan of Aaron was their payment. It's not something that's discussed a lot when it comes to heroes and warriors, but they were first and foremost a mercenary force, and something eventually had to keep roofs on their huts and swords in their hands. Since they were primarily a defense force rather than an oppressor, there was little in the way of spoils, so payment was secured through taxes and tribute. At huge events like feasts, festivals, and weddings, a portion would go to the coffers of Fionn Macool and his men. There was no doubt over the years these tributes had grown, the Fianna having expanded, their homes becoming bigger. Fionn would argue that Ireland was less at peace and more fighting meant more men and more men needed more money. All of this messy business came to a head over the wedding of the daughter of Carbra Lificar to the Jassy Prince. The Fianna demanded the tribute of twenty gold bars for the wedding. This was all Carbra Lificar could take. 
He had spent a lifetime resenting the Fianna's power, and now felt this wedding taxation, after everything his family had gone through with the Desi, was one step too far. Cabra was convinced the Fianna were finally corrupt. He said, I am the High King at Tara. Like my father, Cormac MacArt, before me, I will not bend to the will of the Fianna any longer. I will finally secure peace for my people by pulling out the root and stem of the problem. If I am to die in battle, let me bring down Fionn McCool and his band of cutthroats with me. Carbra Lificar sent messengers out to all the other four provinces of Ireland, to Leinster, Munster, Connacht and Ulster, a massive army was to be mustered to wipe out the Fianna. Word reached Fionn McCool immediately of this coming threat. He was horrified. The Fianna were about to be threatened by the very people they had been sworn to protect. Fionn had hoped against hope that the people of Ireland would speak up against the king at Tara and would refuse to take up arms, but day by day word reached him of the answer of each province. The people of Leinster first. This was understandable. They were so close to Meath and to Tara, and they could not afford to not ally themselves with the king. Indeed, later on, much of the province of Meath would later become counties in a reforged province of Leinster. Next came the support for Cabra Lificar from the colossal armies of Ulster, and then the scrappy, resilient people of Connacht. But a glimmer of hope came for the Fianna, when no answer came from the biggest province of them all, Munster. The people of the Desi had been forced to wander as since being expelled from Tara. Every time they would settle somewhere new, they would be forced off that land before long. They had attempted to settle several times around Leinster. Land was given to them by the ruler of Leinster for three decades before they were pushed further south to a place that would later become known as the Land of the Wandering Host. The animosity between the Dasi and the King at Tara followed them wherever they went. There was never an end to the hunt or the bloodshed. It wasn't until the Dasi finally reached the southern province of Munster that they felt they might have a chance at a new home. It is while they were attempting to settle in Munster that their leader, Engus Gebuiptok, was murdered by the three sons of Carbrilificar. The son of Engus, who would succeed his father, sought no vengeance or further bloodshed. He agreed to the marriage proposal of the king of Tara. The prince would marry Carbra's daughter. The rest of the Desi, however, were not so keen. They had been forced from their lands repeatedly, and then their leader had been murdered in cold blood. They thought this could not go unpunished, but the prince overruled them all. That is, until Cabra Lificar declared war on the Fianna. The Desi had begun to prosper again in Munster, and when the call to arms reached the province, the druids of the Desi went to the king of Munster and asked him to defend them. My king, you did what no other lord has. You have allowed us to settle on your lands. We are guests in your kingdom. We wish to become your subjects. We cannot fight for the king at Tara, and if we do not, he will wipe us all out. 
Only the Fianna can protect us. Only the Fianna protect Ireland. Let us fight for Ireland. Let us fight for the Fianna. The King of Munster agreed and pledged his full support behind Fionn McCool. Fionn was overjoyed to have the support of such an army as that of Munster. But Fionn had a much bigger problem. The two largest sub-factions of the Fianna were Clan Baskna, of whom Fionn was the leader, like his father Cool before him, and Clan Morna, led by the brutish Gull and his brother Conan Muel MacMorna. Gull had seized leadership of all the Fianna after defeating Cool in battle and had since stepped down when Fionn had proven his worth by defeating Alain the Burner. Since then, Gull had remained leader of Clan Morna and loyal to Fionn, but their alliance had always been uneasy, especially after Fionn's blind trust of his followers had nearly led to the death of Conan, Gull and Fionn himself at the hostel of the Quicken Trees. The uneasy alliance between the leader of rival gangs of the Boskna and the Morna finally collapsed when Gull came to Fionn and said, I have always been loyal to you, Fionn, but the king at Tara wants the Fianna destroyed. But that doesn't mean Clan Morna has to be. I am loyal to the Fianna, but first and foremost to Clan Morna. It is the leader of Clan Boskna that is the leader of all the Fianna. Let it be Clan Boskna that is wiped out. Leave the Morna be. Gull, you treacherous swine! The only reason he wants us gone is because of those taxes and tributes you insisted we raise. I can only advise, you are the leader of the Fianna. Accept the responsibilities of a leader. And Livicar fears the power of the Fianna. If I take away half of that power, there is not much left to fear. As long as the power exists, he will never rest. He'll wipe us all out, and then he'll come for Clan Morna. Not if we're the ones to kill you. Fionn was stunned into silence, and Gull, Conan, and the rest of his men left Alwyn and made their way to Tara to pledge their services to Carbra Lificar. Fionn felt utterly defeated. He had never liked Gull. The man had murdered Fionn's father, but he tolerated him because he was a fierce warrior. He was one of the greatest of the Fianna. All of Clan Morna were part of the Fianna. He had been betrayed by his own brothers, his family. Fionn ran out after Gull. I should have cut your head off the day I took power from you, you coward! But it was too late. Even with the armies of the Dyasi and of Munster behind them, with half of the Fianna gone, Fionn thought all hope lost. Morale alone would be destroyed. So Fionn did what he always did at times like this. He stuck his thumb in his mouth. That thumb that had touched the Salmon of Knowledge. Although this time, Fionn feared knowing the answer to this particular predicament. He put his thumb in his mouth and a wide-eyed look came over his face. But Fionn refused to tell his son Oshin, his grandson Oscar, or any of the other of his very closest comrades what he knew. Fionn decided to attempt to sue for peace. 
The Fianna were bound to protect Tara and Ireland and would be totally contradicted by going to war with them. Fionn sought to convince Carbra and the kings of the other provinces of this. He could protect his people and avoid bloodshed. Fionn sent to Tara his beloved servant, Ferdia. He would have gone himself, but if he had been killed, there would be no one left to protect the rest of his family and people. Ferdia arrived at Tara and went before Cabra Lificar. My king, my lord Fionn Macool implores you to reconsider this war. Many innocent lives will be lost, and Ireland will lay vulnerable to foreign invaders. When foreign lands see that Ireland can defend itself from within, they will fear us all the more. We will not be at the mercy of this band of mercenaries for hire any longer. Fionn knows I'm right, and he knows I'll win. That's why he's cowering at Alwyn, and not here before me himself. My lord is protecting his people. He will not take up arms against a fellow countryman. He's not protecting you, though, is he? And Carbra Lificar took out his sword and sliced off the head of Ferdia. This is one of mythology's earliest accounts of shooting the messenger. Send his head back to Fionn Macool. Let us see if the old coward has the heart to meet me in battle now. Fionn had spent most of this period in feelings of grief and sorrow at the tragedy of the whole debacle. And when the head of his beloved servant Ferdia was presented to him, grief and sorrow were replaced with rage, fury, and a thirst for blood. If Carbra Lificar's greatest fear is that I take his throne, I'll make that happen. I'll take Tara and drink wine from his skull. Sound the Dord Fian. The great battle is to have taken place at Gowra in what is today Garristown in northwest Dublin. The armies of Meath, Leinster, Connacht, Ulster and Clan Morna met with the Fianna and the armies of Munster and the Djessi. Lefecar had the immense advantage of numbers, but Fionn Macool, while undoubtedly an elderly man at this point, was still Fionn Macool. He still had his son Oshin and grandson Oscar. Since Oscar had thrown his first spear, he had been a worthy heir to Fionn, even more than Fionn's own son and Oscar's father, Oshin. Oshin had spent a lifetime trying to escape his father's shadow, and had finally been able to come to terms with his own skill as a warrior and immense prowess as a bard and poet. Oshin felt immense pride that if he could not lead the Fianna after Fionn, then at least it would be his own son. Fionn, Oshin, and Oscar all fought on the battlefield together, annihilating wave after wave of warrior from around the country. Their hearts weighed heavy with each and every Irish life they took, but there was no time for guilt, not until they had won. They did, however, take some satisfaction in the death of each member of Clan Morna. It felt like vengeance at last for the death of Cool. Another ace in Fionn's hand was Quilcha Macaronan, who was the fastest man alive. He seemingly could be in a hundred places at once. He was gone before you even saw him, and he was just as quick with his spear. In essence, he fought as a hundred men. 
Even though not all of the Fianna were as valiant as Fionn's family or Quilche MacRonan, they all fought with the strength of at least ten men. The Fianna were most certainly not going down without a fight. At last, on the battlefield, Fionn saw Carbra Lificar, and Carbra Lificar saw Fionn. Both of them felt they could die happy if they took the other down with them. Carbra was wounded, and Fionn wasn't. Fionn toyed with the king, slicing and cutting him wound by wound, but never fatal. He wanted Carbra to die slowly and painfully. With his last breath, Carbra raised his spear and cast it. It sailed past Fionn's face, missing him entirely. Your last thrust, and you missed. I wasn't aiming for you. And Carbra Lificar died. Fionn turned around and to his horror saw that the spear had been cast into the chest of his grandson, Oscar. The young man fell to the ground, dead without another word. Fionn fell to the ground himself, embraced the body, and for the first time ever wept over the death of a warrior of the Fianna. To Fionn, Oscar was the future of the Fianna, their last great hope, and with him died the Fianna. And as he tragically always was, Fionn was right. When the Fianna saw their leader in tears, clutching the dead body of their greatest hero, they were defeated. But none fled. Each and every one of them died fighting. There were only two survivors, Quilche MacRonan and Oisin. Quilche had seen Fionn and Oscar and had ran at his greatest speed to find Oisin. Your father and son are lost, and with them the Fianna. But if you die here today, so does their memory. That is all the Fianna have left, and there is no one else who should or could tell it other than you, Oisin. I can get you out of here. I know you'll want to stay and fight, but don't die for them, Oisin. Live for them. And Quilcha took Oshin, and they escaped from that devastating field of blood to live out their days telling the rise and fall of the Fianna of Ireland and of their greatest leader, Fionn McCool. But what of Fionn McCool? What happened to the greatest mortal warrior Ireland ever saw? No one agrees. Some say he died at that Battle of Gowra killed by a warrior of Tara called Aklok. Some say he drowned by attempting to jump the river Boyne while drunk. Some believe he and the Fina lie asleep under the earth until the time they are needed again. But there are a few of us who believe that Fionn Macool never died, but grew and grew in size until he became a giant, who settled up north and would one day bring about the building of the Giant's Causeway. To be continued. And the Fianna are at an end. That was the end of the Fianna on Fireside. I really hope you enjoyed it. That is, as you can tell, that is a dense, dense tale. There is a lot there is a lot thrown at you there. And yes, yes, I will surprise a huge amount of you, but it was so hard to find 
a version of an expanded version of that story. It was all just very little brief bits of paragraphs pieced together here and there um, from various various different websites and from my Lady Gregory book. First thing I want to talk about is, of course, the Jesse. These are uh, these are a race that are mentioned for the very first time in my reading in context with this story, and they are this this wandering group of people. They're like a very ancient warrior predecessor to the Irish traveling community or something like that. I don't uh, presuppose anything, but they do seem to have genuinely existed in some form, Must much like the Fianna. There is some historical basis for this group of people, maybe not necessarily at this exact time, but that was what was interesting and also confusing to piece this all together. These are probably some of the most difficult names I've ever had to pronounce on this. As I've said before, I am not an Irish speaker, much to my own chagrin, and it's something I am trying to improve on day by day. We have uh, the main leader of the Dasi, who's mentioned a good few times there, is Angus Gabweeptak. I really hope I'm getting some kind of pronunciation on that name particularly especially because I'm not even sure if it is Angus because it's Angus with an O Angus would usually be spelled A-E-N-G-H-U-S or A-E-N-G-U-S as the god of love Angus Og but here we have it O-Fada E-N-G-U-S so almost like Oingus or something kind of like that so Ingus or Ingus Gabweeptak is my best pronunciation of that. That is spelled G-A-I-F-A-D-A-B-U-F-A-D-A-I-B-T-H-E-C-H. How is that for a word? And Gabweeptak means, of course, of the dread spear. We have Carbra Lificar, of course, the son of High King Cormac McGart, which, if you were to read it, first of all, it looks like his name is Carbra Life Chair. That is how it is spelled literally L I F E C H A I R. And only that I saw a translation saying of, of the Liffey, I might not have ever used my brain in assuming how to pronounce it and might have pronoun- pronounced it Carbra Life Chair, which would be an absolutely incredible name. He is the son of, of Cormac MacArt, so he is the brother of, Gor- of Grania from the pursuit of Dermot and Grania. This I've mentioned this a few times throughout the Fenian cycle, but this really is evident here, more, more probably than it has been at all. This story is just such a culmination of everything, literally nearly everything we have talked about on this podcast, nearly every story we've told from every aspect, it is of course it is it of course has every element of the Fenian cycle mentioned. We have cool, we have cool mentioned, we have the salmon of knowledge mentioned, we have Dermid, we have the hostel of the Quicken Trees. Every tale that we've been building up to has relevance here. There are different factors that have all contributed to that. And that's that's an incredible, expansive myth. That's incredible storytelling right there that's so rich. We even have mentioned to the Tua de Danon, considering we have this idea of Cormac McArt being made imperfect by having his eye stabbed out by a spear. 
which brings us back to Nuda when his arm was chopped off at the first Battle of Maitera and he has to have his silver arm, which brings us back to the very second episode of this story. And of course, at the very, very end, much like the end of Lu in the second Great Battle of Maitera at the end of the mythological cycle, there is no exact account of what happens to Fionn. Why is this? Because he appears again and again throughout myth. So as I touched on a couple of the different reasons at the end there of the different things that are thought to have happened to him, some believe, yes, he just died at that battle. Why not? Some believe, I'd love to find out a little bit more of this, of him trying to jump over the River Boyne while hammered and then drowning. That's... That's possibly my favorite that I just discovered. There is... I am trying to find where I saw this. This was from my reading a long time ago, but I read that he he and the Fianna lie asleep, possibly under Alwyn, where his home was, awaiting a time where the Fianna are needed again. That's a wonderful one. And of course, the final possibility of what happened to Fionn is that he ended up becoming a giant and going up north and would find a giant named, a Scottish giant named Ben and Donner over building the giant's causeway, which was the very, very first episode of this podcast. Our very first folktale was a later folktale from Fionn McCool, totally separate from the Fenian cycle. And here we are, 28 eight episodes later and we have come full circle we are right back that we have had the whole story of Fionn McCool I'm very sad to be leaving him for the moment I'm sure he will come back again or pop in if we do this podcast live he will definitely be an element of what we might do if we do do a, a, a live fireside show, there's so many options we can do. It will be an evening of storytelling, but it will be an evening of scenes, of monologues. We will we will find different ways of telling different aspects of these stories. There's so many different things we could do. I want to make it a live experience, unlike the podcast, but also unique to a live setting as well. But that's all ideas up in the air until we find one, until we do it. But yes, that's we are coming to the end. But again, this is not the end of the Fenian cycle. There is one more tale to tell, at least. And that is the tale of Ushin, who we haven't really we haven't really got to know him a huge amount other than God help him. He is touched on and passed over. Everything's constantly about who is better than Oshin. Dermod was better than Oshin. Now his own son Oscar was better than Oshin. Oscar who dies with all of the rest of the Fianna here at the Battle of Gaura. Dying in Fionn's arms. Oscar is incredible. Is an incredible name for starters. That is the good old Irish spelling of O-S-G-A-R which I am obsessed with right at the moment. We have Gull's betrayal, of course, as well. This is another element of how everything just ties together. Gull, right from the very first episode, from the forming of the Fianna, we could tell that this guy was a bowel pup. He is responsible for the death of Cool, becomes leader, but yet steps down when Fionn proves himself that capable of being the leader. And Fionn doesn't kill him. 
it was the first, it was one of the first really complex elements we'd encountered in Irish mythology of keeping your friends close and your enemies closer. It was so interesting to me that Gull was kept alive and that Gull would stay to fight with Fionn. And we got another chance to meet Gull and his brother Conan Whale in the last, was it the last myth we did or the one before that? One of the last couple of Fenian myths, which was, of course, the hostel of the Quicken Trees for any regular listeners to this podcast. So we got another little sample of him and his dissatis- and his distaste and his dissatisfaction, if that's a word, with Fionn and with the Fianna. And here we have the ultimate betrayal. It all came back. It all came back to haunt Fionn and to haunt the Fianna. And I suppose it's what's great about, to use the example of another myth, myth, mythology, in Norse mythology, why Norse mythology is considered fantastic is, and this is in uh, Neil Gaiman's wonderful recent retellings of them, Norse, which is just called Norse Mythology. I highly recommend it. Recommend it. One of, it's one of the great influences on this podcast. But he mentions in his introduction that one of his favorite things about Norse mythology is it has a beginning, middle, and an end. Whereas a lot of, uh, a lot of mythologies just peter out or just mold into contemporary life. Norse mythology has Ragnarok. It has the end where all of them die, where everyone dies. And there's something incredibly satisfying in the in a definite answer to the question, what happened to the Fianna? And that is, they were all wiped out. And how interesting that it should be all over taxation. It should be over tribute. This is this is where it's very contemporary. Uh, it in it, it, like very elements of very contemporary fantasy. This is this is very like I've mentioned before, but it's become increasingly more like a song of ice and fire, like the George R. R. Martin novels, more like that. It's been less about good and evil and black and white characters that are so classic in fantasy. There is a complexity to the Fenian cycle, which I adore. There is a complexity to Fionn. Fionn is kind of still the all-American, all-good hero, but we have seen, we saw in the pursuit of Dermot and Grania, we saw an element of something else to him, an element of vengeance, of retribution, justified to a huge degree, of course, but even at the end, it's one of my favorite moments we've done in this podcast, is that final moment of Dermot's life where Fionn refuses to give him healing water from his hands. We've seen different sides to this to this character because we've seen him throughout his whole life. We've seen Fionn as a baby, as a child, as a young man, as a middle-aged man, and now as an old man, and we've seen him die. We've even seen him as a giant. And we've in, in all that time, we've seen so many different aspects to him and to his life, because this is the story of the Fianna, and it is the story of Fionn McCool, and I hope that you can all now see, I certainly can, considering that Fionn is one of the characters I would have had less of a knowledge about going into this cycle, I see now fully why he is as significant as he is in Irish mythology, and to the Irish people, and I absolutely love him, and this cycle of stories. This will be a very hard one to to follow on from the Fenian cycle. But, I have said before, the mythological cycle which we began this podcast with, that is one of the most disjointed and least preserved and least survived cycle in Irish myth. So that is why it read more like history a lot of the times. It is more just about set, lay, 
creating the world and laying the characters that will come up later in in myth whereas the fenian cycle is it is solid stories if there's a real structure to it that I'm sure carries on with the Ulster, certainly with the Ulster cycle and with the historical or the cycle of kings, the final cycle of Irish myth, which we will get to. It's hard to know which we'll move on to yeah, next. Probably the historical. I know everyone is waiting. I'm myself waiting for the Ulster cycle, which is the cattle raid of Cooley, which is Fionn McCool, it's Coo- or which is um, Cúchulain, it's Queen Maeve. It is the real... It's the real deal, but I really feel I'm getting better at writing these podcasts. I hope you feel the same way. And so, because that is my favorite and the most famous and the strongest of all of the Irish mythological cycles, I want the Ulster cycle to be good. I want the stories to be as strong as they can be. And so that is why I would want to climax with them to wait until I was at my strongest and this podcast was at its biggest listenership because we are still growing each and every day, which we can only do so with your continued support. So please do tell all your friends if you listen to it if you have instagram upload it onto your story on instagram a few listeners have done that and it's been a huge huge help so thank you so much for that whenever i I post about i post about the podcast every week on instagram you can follow me at olahan solo o-l-o-h-a-n-s-o-l-o all one word and you can continue to follow me that is another way that you can support this podcast so we can grow it each and every day but so that is all we have with Fionn and with the Fianna. But what is our final story from the Fenian cycle? Our cliff note, our grace note, if you will. It is the story of Ushin, who, yes, in fact, is the same Ushin who would go to a mythical land called Tir Nanog. And that is what our next myth will be. And I hope you are all as excited for that as I am. But next week we will return to a folktale. We've got a great folktale next week that I recently discovered and wrote last night. And I'm very much looking forward to recovering it. Uh, Folktale from the land of Kiavan, which I will talk about next time. But I'll wrap things up now for this episode. That was episode, episode, episode 28, the end of the Fianna. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you once again to everyone here at the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios for continuing to support this podcast. Thank you to Jamie, my producer and editor. And thank you most of all to all of you for listening each and every week. It means the world to me to do this podcast. So thank you so much. And I will see you all. You will hear me all next week by the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.